Brother Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Good to be together as a church family live at 10 a.m. on Facebook Live. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you at Lake Forest. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. I do want to take just a, a special moment to say thank you to everyone who made last Sunday our serve day such a special day of worship. That is sort of an all-hands-on-deck event that takes a real team effort to serve across all those sites, all those ministries, all the people who jumped in and served. So for whatever you were able to contribute, leadership, time, skill, just the willingness to sweat for three hours, whatever it may be, thank you for such a fun Sunday of worship last Sunday. Uh, yesterday, as a continuation to Serve Day, we partnered with our friends at Gethsemane Baptist Church for their back-to-school breakout and were together able to serve over 600 children uh, with school supplies for the upcoming year. That is almost double the average number of kids who uh, participate in the back-to-school breakout on an average year. So just a a rich partnership we have with Gethsemane. Well done to them, and thanks for letting us uh, jump in and, and help. Switching subjects just a, a minute, and then I'll jump into the sermon. Um, we take very seriously the responsibility to guard the physical, the spiritual, and the emotional health of our congregation. And so as part of that, we have been earnestly seeking a way to have an in-person worship opportunity uh, for folks to come and, and worship together in person, not just on the online, uh, but in person. And we have spent a lot of time thinking, praying. There's been a real collaborative effort on this. And in August, we have a good way of moving forward. I want to just preview it for you. So right now we're in a barn on the McDaniels property. If you know Ben and Meredith, we're in a barn on their property. If you ever hear birds, for instance, in the background, that's what it is. It's actual birds. We're not piping those in. Well, outside of this barn, there's a big field. And what you're going to see in August is that we're going to start transitioning our service and our live stream from being in the barn to being out in the field. And what that will allow is for folks in the congregation, folks in the community who desire to come and worship in person uh, in that field. There'll be plenty of room to spread out and also engage in worship at the same time. So we're going to be sending out more information about this uh, towards the end of this week to just prepare you because it will be a thing where we'll be asking you to pre-register, sign up that you're coming on a certain Sunday so we can know how many people to expect and because we have a cap as we figure out what is the safe capacity for this field uh, we're going to guess low and then see where that see where that lands us but all that to say what will this mean for you honestly it could mean nothing for you we'll still be doing the facebook live at 10 a.m so you can continue to worship via facebook live engage that way at 10 a.m uh, you'll just notice the backdrop changes and you'll wonder i wonder why they changed the backdrop well because they moved out and we moved out in the field but also it does allow you, if you would like to come and engage in a safe and in-person worship opportunity, we will make that opportunity available. And it's going to start the middle of August. August 16th is the first Sunday we anticipate inviting folks to come and worship as part of an in-person congregation again. 
Yes, indeed. Again, we'll ask you to pre-register. Bring a chair so you have something to sit on. Probably want to bring water. Dress comfortably. It is a field, after all. Uh, but we will figure this out. We've learned a lot from Mount Zion United Methodist Church, who has actually been doing outdoor worship through the summer. And if those good folks can do it, I think we got a fighting chance to do it as well. You don't, again, worship online at 10 o'clock or join us in the field uh, distance out at 10 o'clock. Two really cool options. Part of the timing behind this for us is that the school, the colleges are going to be back in session and, and we wanted to at least have an opportunity to invite some newer uh, students and returning students too. So we will walk forward. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for helping us uh, discern this together. We appreciate all the feedback you give us, uh, give me along the way, and we're going to try it. So if you see people moving things throughout the service, they're just taking it out to the field. It's not a big deal. Don't, don't worry. We're not being robbed or anything like that. Excellent. Did I cover? Did I hit everything? Did you want to mention the people bring... Oh, people could bring like a tent or an umbrella or something? It is a sunny field. It is a sunny field. So Matt says you might want to bring like a tent or an umbrella or there something like spots. that. There are shady spots, but sign they will be coveted. Yeah, sign up early <laughs> for the shady spots. Uh, we look forward to it. It'll be, it'll be great. It'll be rich, and we'll leave the live stream on as well so that you have two options of how to worship as we hit mid-August. Mid there we go. Anything else anyone wants to talk about before the sermon? Good? Okay. We seem good. Well, here we go. New series starting today. A new series based on this fact. It is hard to overstate the disruption of the past five months. It is hard to overstate the disruption of the past five months. And a disruption in many areas of life. We as a community, we as a country, we as the, our own loved ones. We've watched people get sick. Sadly, in some cases, we have watched people die. We know folks in our congregation who have lost jobs or lost livelihoods. We know the unemployment rate in this country peaked at 15% at one point. It would be difficult to overstate the disruption of these months. We have seen uh, protests fighting for all sorts of social goods, but the original to protest the killing of people of color. These have been a, a big, a tumultuous, a changing, sort of the five-month and it's still going period that we think we'll point back to and say that reshaped some things in us, in our greater culture. It would be difficult to overstate the disruption of these past months. You may remember this all started somewhere back in March. It seemed like there was like a fixed day, and on that day, everything stopped. Schedules stopped. Events just started to cancel left and right. Big events, little events. If you didn't cancel an event, people figured you were probably an axe murderer. We had to move literally overnight our services to online. We've been scattered since then, and we're stronger for it. The truth is, during these past months, a lot of us have walked with a lot of weight on our shoulders, whether us or the people we love. We walk with a different level of weight on our shoulders these days, of stress, fighting against anxiety, wishing that something in our life would be easy, wondering, are people judging me right now? Yes, they are. But they were before this, too. It is hard to overstate the disruption of these past months. 
But the point of our series is it is also hard to overstate the opportunity that we have as individuals, as God's people. We said this back in March. We don't have to go back to normal, whatever that was. We can move forward into something better. We can move forward into something more like what God wants. You and I have an opportunity to rebuild as individuals, all of us together, we have the opportunity to rebuild a more Jesus Christ-centered life. And so our new series of sermons is called Rebuilding, turning a huge disruption into a huge opportunity to rebuild a more Jesus Christ-centered life. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at accounts from the life of Jesus where Jesus encountered a person and helped them rebuild their lives into something new, something more like what God wanted. Not just me with a few repairs, not just me with a few patches, but me, version two, a new me, a new you, a new way to be human following Jesus. And so throughout this series of focusing on Jesus, we're asking everybody at Lake Forest Davidson to do one thing, and that one thing is to read a book of the Bible. And the book of the Bible is called John. Now, if you open up the Bible, you'll notice there's a 1st John and a 2nd John and a 3rd John that says 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. This is none of those. This is the John without any number attached to it. Just John. It's 21 chapters long, and it chronicles the life of Jesus. So you could read it in one sitting. You could read a chapter a day for 21 days. You could have your Bible app read it to you on your way to work. But however you do it, we're asking everybody to read throughout this series the book of John so that we can see for ourselves who Jesus is and how he is calling us to rebuild our lives. And as preachers, we're going to hold ourselves to the discipline in this series. We're going to preach on Jesus' passages and all of them will come out of the book of John. So we're going to really focus in on Jesus, and especially Jesus in the book of John, and see how God might stir us through that. So how are we going to begin our series of sermons about Jesus in the book of John? With a sermon that is not about Jesus in the book of John. You guessed it. You knew it. I just want to introduce the series today. And to do that, I want to tell you about one of the most, fam the most famous rebuilding efforts in the Bible. And then next week, we will move into uh, accounts of, from the life of Jesus recorded in the book of John. The Bible's most famous rebuilding story contains this great verse that I think is a good theme verse for a series on rebuilding. It's Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. B means the second half of the verse. It says this, They replied, Let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. What I'm going to do today is give you a little bit of background on Nehemiah. Then I want to take some time to just think and take inventory of our lives. And then based on that, I want to look at what Nehemiah teaches us about rebuilding, specifically rebuilding a more Jesus Christ-centered life in these areas of life we'll think about in the middle part of the sermon. And so we'll do this kind of internal work this week. So that next week when we jump into the accounts from the life of Jesus, we will be more prepared for them. Kennedy read this passage for us earlier about Nehemiah, the leader, the great rebuilder. Nehemiah, he has a whole book of the Old Testament that's named after him that chronicles the work that he did. He's often pointed to as a great example of leadership. 
And the passage Kennedy read for us earlier gives us some background on Nehemiah. You're going to remember in verse 12, it says, I, Nehemiah, set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So you get the sense God is really stirring something deep in Nehemiah's heart. He's out at night. He's riding around the city of Jerusalem. He's taking it all in. He seems almost restless that there's something that God has put deep in his heart to do. What is it? Verse 13. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. Time out. Time out. Can we pool our money and get a publicist for ancient Jerusalem here? Who's naming these places? By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. So now the picture comes into focus. The ancient city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. Most of it is in ruins. Its walls and its gates are rubble. This city had been the home of God's people, but it had fallen into a very sorry state. There's actually a very small remnant of people even left in Jerusalem at this point. Nehemiah is taking it all in. Nehemiah is taking in the disruption, but God is stirring in his heart the opportunity. And so he calls together the leaders of the Jerusalem remnant. That sounds like a good Christian band name, the, the Jerusalem remnant. He calls together the leaders of the Jerusalem remnant, and he says to them this, verse 17. I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. If you're an ancient city and you have no walls and you have no gates, you have no protection. You have no safety. You can make all the progress in the world and it can be undone in a day by one invading army. So Jerusalem's in a bad situation. Nehemiah knows it. But he also knows that God's people have an unbelievable opportunity. They don't just get to put a patch on an old wall. They're not putting just a band-aid on a sorry old gate. They have the chance to, to do the whole wall and gate version 2.0, something new. They get to rebuild the whole thing from the ground up, one brick at a time. Nehemiah has enough time and enough sense to take stock. He knows that there's an opportunity before him, and it's going to involve a lot of hard work. So before he begins that work, he takes stock, and then he's ready to rebuild. So now I want to turn that kind of question to us. What about you? What about me? We have time to take stock. Hopefully we have sense to take stock. Are we ready to rebuild? Not to just put a band-aid or a patch on our old way of life, but something new. Me, you, version two, rebuilding a more Jesus Christ-centered life. I'm just going to list out some areas of life. This is not meant to be an all-inclusive list, but I'm going to list out some areas of life and see if God stirs or is already stirring something deep inside of you, an opportunity to do more Christ-centered rebuilding in one of these areas of life or more than one of these areas of life. Over these past months, where has God shown you a new opportunity? You've gotten a hint of what this could be and you want it to be more of who you are? Or where over the past months have you realized that the old way is not working? 
that it worked okay, but now under the pressure, it stopped working. And you have an opportunity, I have an opportunity to rebuild a more Jesus Christ-centered life. Again, a non-exhaustive list, but to get your mind, your heart, my mind, my heart thinking. Perhaps, for instance, it would be your schedule. Maybe you've tasted or desired to taste a more sane pace of life. Maybe it's your marriage that you've seen the beauty or the need for a stronger marriage or to put appropriate boundaries in a dating relationship. What about community? Has God stirred something in you around community, a deep desire to do life with other people? Or maybe for you, a soul friendship that has sustained you more than you've realized. Is it your faith? During this time, have you actually crossed the line of faith or have you had a resurgence of faith and now you are eager to be closer and closer and closer to Jesus? Perhaps for you, it's your devotional life. You see the impact of setting aside daily time to be with your Creator. For you, is it the importance of church family? The importance of engaging deeply in that family? Or maybe for you, it's a desire to cultivate more of a servant's heart, to be more eager to serve, as Serve Day was, a launching off point into serving others in Jesus' name. Maybe you desire to change what you do with your time or what you do with your money. Maybe you see more clearly how important Jesus' command is, love your neighbors. Maybe for you, you sense the urgency of spreading the hope of Jesus to one more person. Or maybe you have seen clearly the long-term importance of joining in God's work of reconciliation and justice. Again, this is not meant to be an all-inclusive list, but to try to get you and me thinking about where God has used these past months to show us a window into what our lives could be or has shown us the old way ain't working anymore. It crumbled under the pressure. Where do you and I have the opportunities to rebuild a more Jesus Christ-centered life? So we turn back to Nehemiah with those areas maybe swirling in our head. It might help if you specifically hold on to one or two that, that, that God has really started stirring, even as I've mentioned it, or had already probably been stirring deep inside you. What do we learn from Nehemiah about how to rebuild a more Jesus Christ-centered life. We look at how he rebuilt the wall, the gates of Jerusalem, and see how we might rebuild. Here we go. Number one, number one, number, 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 number. The CD got a scratch on it, I'm sorry to say. Indy has been, Indy can now, Indy's our three-year-old. Indy can now open the DVD player, we learned. And we know this because all the DVDs have cracker crumb stains on them now. So all they all skip now. So number one is skipping, just like all the DVDs at our house. Number one, start with prayer. Start with prayer. Number one, how to rebuild, start with prayer. Nehemiah 1.4 says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah first gets word of the sorry state of Jerusalem, and what does he do? The scripture says he mourns, he fasts, he prays. 
Most of Nehemiah chapter 1 is a prayer. Nehemiah does not jump right into action. Yes, he's becoming aware of the rebuilding that God is stirring deep inside of his heart. So he spends time praying about it, talking to God about it, listening to God about it. He wants to make sure he's in step with God throughout this whole rebuilding process. Nehemiah knows that what's about to happen is not going to come from his brilliance or his power. It's going to come from God, his creator, his redeemer, his friend. So as you and I think about rebuilding our lives into something more Christ-centered, in one or more of the ways I mentioned earlier or something else altogether, we would be wise to follow this example, to spend time talking with God, listening to God, letting God stir up the rebuilding deep in our hearts. We don't want to run out ahead of God on this, and we also don't want to lag behind God. As, as we follow his lead forward. We want to stay in step with what God is doing. So Nehemiah models this for us. He begins his action with the action of prayer, of the internal work of letting God really stir this up inside of him. Number two, plan before you build. Plan before you build. Nehemiah 2.12 says, I set out during the night with a few others, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So I kind of already talked about this part. I won't belabor the point. In preacher speak, that means 15 minutes. Long before Nehemiah rebuilt, he, he prayed and he planned. He surveyed the situation. But when did he survey the situation? At night. He didn't need everybody to chime in with their ideas quite yet. He wanted to understand the current reality as it was because God was stirring something deep in his soul. And there would be a time to be more open and public about it. But this was the time where something was stirring in him. So even as he planned, he kept it a little bit under the radar. Only the people who needed to know knew. He was waiting for the right time. Number three is to start the rebuilding one brick at a time. I did actually finish that faster than I thought. Number three is to start the rebuilding one brick at a time. So start with prayer, plan before you build, and then actually start rebuilding one brick at a time. The people replied in verse 18, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. How do you build up the ancient city's walls? one brick at a time. How do we rebuild our lives into more Jesus Christ-centered lives? One day at a time. One decision at a time. One reaction at a time. One step at a time. One change at a time. We've prayed, we've planned, and now we start to rebuild. And the commitment to rebuild is huge. I'm not trying to undersell the commitment. The commitment to rebuild a marriage in a more Jesus Christ-centered way or to rebuild a life and make your newfound relationship with Jesus central in your life or to rebuild a life with a deeper desire to love your neighbor. The commitment is important. And the commitment will play itself out in a whole bunch of small daily decisions what we prioritize, what we don't prioritize, how we spend this hour, what we do with this amount of proactive energy, how we respond to this situation, 
how we carry ourselves in that struggle, what we dwell on, what we let go of, the commitment plays itself out in the small daily decisions. And my encouragement to us would be to take each of these bricks, this hour, this opportunity, this conflict, this day, this reaction, take these little bricks to Jesus and ask him for the strength to follow him, honor him, keep him central in how we respond with this little brick. And we start to pile brick on top of brick, on top of brick, on top of brick. And it starts to form something new, something beautiful. You can imagine if you were to start a rebuilding, you might have a big, you know, a banner and balloons and it's all exciting. It's the commitment to rebuild. But as soon as the commitment is over, you say, well, what next? Somebody hands you a brick. <laughs> Time to start building. Same things in our lives. The commitment's important, but it plays out in our daily decisions. And then finally, number four, number four, number, 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 be ready. Number four, be ready for resistance. Be ready for resistance. Nehemiah 2.19 says, But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, the rebuilding, they mocked and ridiculed us. It always happens. When you start to rebuild the walls and the gates of an ancient city, there's a thought that pops up in the back of your head. The thought is, why hasn't this already happened? If this is so obvious and is going to be so easy, why hasn't it already been done? That's when the thought pops up in the back of your head. There's probably going to be some resistance. I've had to remind myself of this throughout the years of, of Lake Forest Davidson. When, when you start a church in a town that, that the last church that put roots down in that town was in 1957, that little thing pops up in the back of your head. <laughs> if this is so obvious and it's going to be so easy, why has it not happened since 1957? So periodically, I'm just looking around for somebody named Sanballat, the Horonite. This joker, no sooner had Nehemiah and his team started to rebuild, he shows up and starts ridiculing them and what they're doing. And here's the truth. It is hard to defend yourself, especially early on, especially when you have more rubble than bricks. So as you and I rebuild a more Jesus Christ-centered life, there's going to be some resistance. And it may be internal resistance, or it may be external resistance. It may be both. Be ready for the resistance. You don't have to run because there's resistance. In fact, resistance is a good reminder of how important the work you're doing really is. Because if it's just easy and resistance-free, it would already be done. The fact it's not done means you have exciting and good work ahead of you, but that it might not be easy and resistance-free. So how do we hold on in the midst of the resistance? Whether it's internal resistance, whether it's external resistance. Sometimes we are Sanballat the Horonite to ourselves. 
How do we hold on in the midst of the resistance? Philippians 1.6 says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There is great rebuilding work ahead, but the Bible has even better news. There is great rebuilding work already happening in you, in me. The Christian faith is not so much about the good things that I do or that you do. It's about the good thing that God is doing in you, is doing in me, the good thing that God has done through Jesus Christ and is now doing in us. God created each and every one of us, and he created us in his image. In the image of God, we are knit together, men and women, as a tapestry of colors with different skills and gifts and abilities. We are created in God's image. And even when we rebel against God, God does not turn his back on us. In fact, God came to this earth on a rescue mission, fully God and fully human. Jesus Christ came to earth to reconcile us back to our creator through his life and his suffering and his death and never forget this part his resurrection jesus has done all that is needed to bridge the gap between you and me and god he offers us as a gift an eternal relationship with the one who called this world into existence and when we say yes to that eternal relationship jesus sends god the holy spirit into our lives making us new and giving us a power to live differently. Not power within ourselves, but a power that comes from God the Holy Spirit to live differently, to rebuild, to create a more Jesus Christ-centered life. And we have a significant opportunity to take big steps forward in rebuilding that sort of life. The sort of life God wants for us. The very reason he created us in his image in the first place. And the truth is we can take these kind of steps anytime. But sometimes in the midst of a big disruption, we have an ability to take different sort of steps, to ask questions we didn't quite have the courage to ask seven months ago. Part of the opportunity Nehemiah and the group had was that the walls and the gates were down and so they could rebuild from the ground up. You may not exactly be able to rebuild from the ground up, but I can at least say in, in my lifetime, the lifetime of folks who've lived longer than me, this is one of the more disruptive periods we've lived through. We have a unique opportunity to rebuild more Jesus Christ-centered lives. Even if this thing goes on for another, I don't know, week, month, year, decade, it's a disruption and a chance to rebuild more Jesus Christ-centered lives. God's good work in you is not finished. God is still doing good work in you. And the good news is, one day God's work in you will be finished. That means the labor ahead is not in vain. God's going to see to it himself that the labor ahead is not in vain. It's worth working for and it's worth waiting for Building a more Jesus Christ-centered life is both worth wait, working for and worth waiting for until the day when Jesus comes back to earth, gathers up all who love him, and takes us to our forever home. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. So my question for you as I sort of wrap up the introductory sermon on rebuilding is this. What good rebuilding work is God doing in your life? And how can you join in one brick at a time? What good rebuilding work is God doing in your life? How can you join in one brick at a time? Maybe it's, your again, your faith, your new faith, your renewed faith. Or maybe you're ready to step over the line of faith today. Maybe it's your devotional life, engaging with your church family, a servant's heart, how you spend and use your time and money, loving your neighbor, spreading the hope of Jesus, joining the work of justice and reconciliation, your schedule, the pace of your life, your marriage, your relationships, your community, your soul friends. There's so much good work to be done. Where is God stirring you to join in? Nehemiah shows us. Pray, plan, rebuild. Rebuild a more Jesus Christ-centered life, one brick at a time. There will be resistance. Hold on through the resistance. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you that what you start, you finish. And so much of our lives is spent in the in-between, the, the work unfinished, the construction zone. Maybe the symbol of my faith would be that, a giant orange cone. Still under construction. Come back later. But Lord, you finish what you start. And so I lift up our church family to you, all of us who are worshiping here and scattered across. And I ask that you will put deep in our hearts a confidence in that, that you finish what you start. That you're not going to leave us to our own devices. You're not going to abandon us halfway through the rebuilding. In fact, you are giving us the power to rebuild. So, Lord, stir deep in our hearts and our minds where you're calling us to something more Jesus Christ-centered. And may we have the courage to follow you one step at a time in that. Lord, I pray for those of us who are ready uh, not just to rebuild in an area of life, but in all of life, to make Jesus central to our lives. 
I pray we would open up our hearts to you today and be made new. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as always, we'd love to pray for you. Let us know how to do so at davidsonprayer at lakeforest.org. And as always, you can, if you're able and willing to give a tithe or offering, lakeforest.org slash give. We love you guys. Let's worship together.